So this morning we're going to launch into part three of Colossians, and uh, we're going to make a little bit of progress today, not as much as I would like, but this is good though. I like digging in deep. Is that okay? That's, I mean, I enjoy that. So that's what we're going to do a little bit of this morning. So this morning we're going to look at the passages, uh, verses 24 through 29, and then possibly, if we have time, we will also look at the um, next five verses, but we'll see where we land. So let's just read through the passage now um, together. We'll read through verses 24 through 29, and then we'll, we'll go back and start digging into each of these. Here's what Paul writes. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship with God, from, excuse me, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. <clears throat> Great stuff. Uh, and just a reminder, uh, as I talked about in part one, but this is a letter that Paul's writing to the believers in Colossae, and he was just updated by uh, Epaphras, who uh, attends there and probably started that church there and leads it, and he was giving Paul an update. And Paul is in prison and writing this letter to them. And so he has not actually met this group of believers uh, to whom he's writing, not face to face, but he has heard great reports from Epaphras, uh, as well as some concerns uh, for which he does address in this letter. And we'll get to those in the weeks to come. So that's just a little bit of background again as a, as a recap. Let's look at verse 24, when Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. <clears throat> now first I wanted to just clarify something, it's a little odd to hear what he's saying here. Uh, it makes it sound like that perhaps there's something lacking in the afflictions Christ suffered. That is not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, as Paul is wanting to follow after Christ in every way, he's wanting to follow after Christ also in his afflictions. Paul, as many believers of that day and subsequent days and decades, suffering for Christ is an honor and a privilege. 
And this is basically what he's saying is, I am lacking in my uh, following after Christ in this way of being afflicted, of suffering for him. So uh, when you read this and what he's talking about is in my flesh, in his body, he's trying to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions that Christ suffered before him. He's wanting to follow after him in every way. And I think that's really incredible. And when Paul is referring to suffering, he is, throughout his letters and throughout Scripture, he is usually referring to suffering for the sake of Christ or his gospel message. And like now, as he's writing this, he's in jail for that very thing, for preaching the gospel message, for preaching Christ. And so he's writing this from jail, so he is suffering because of that. He's suffering for the sake of Christ. So most of the time when Paul's writing and referring to suffering and persecution, this is what he's talking about, is suffering because of Christ. But I do think it's great to remember that in addition to suffering for the sake of Christ, that Scripture makes it clear that there's, there's also trials and difficulties that we will experience in life that are also uh, testing of our faith and trying for us. It's very, a very trying time, a very difficult time, and Scripture does not make light of that whatsoever and also points out that this is a uh, this is a thing that all of us believers will go through, and, and we know, we've lived life long enough to know that we will have and will go through these difficulties in life. And Scripture includes that as being a time for us to, uh, to kind of go through those times and prove that our faith is genuine or to strengthen our faith because of the trial and difficulties that we're going through. So there's some scriptures that allude to um, all of this. And it's, it's a good thing to remember, we'll see in this scripture, that, that going through these trials and difficulties, or if it's suffering for the sake of Christ, whatever it may be, is a time of building of our character. Uh, Romans... Chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, this is Paul talking, and he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So that's a great example that Paul's writing to the Romans to be glad and to rejoice in your time of suffering because it is actually at work producing in you something that's very needed, which is 
endurance, and the endurance then will go on to produce character and to produce hope. It's an interesting sequence, I think, but uh, endurance, we know in Scripture, is, uh, tells us is very, very important, and we know it is because the, the trials and difficulties that we go through in life, sometimes that is when it's most difficult to hang on to your faith and to remain hopeful and to remain faithful, whether that's trials in, let's say, sickness or grief and loss, whether it's times of depression, whether it's times of temptation, whatever it might be, by us going through it, that is an opportunity for us to actually have our faith not only tested to make sure it's genuine, but strengthened so that it will be able to endure even greater things in the times to come. James writes that we should actually count it all joy. And when he's talking, he is talking about these trials of various kinds, these difficulties that we go, go through in life. And so let's look at what James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And steadfastness, we don't use that a lot in our language today, but basically it means it could mean you could put in there patience, you could put in there uh, endurance or perseverance. To be steadfast is to to endure, to not allow this to shake your faith and your foundation uh, to where you are uh, now being blown by the wind, so to speak. So James says, count it all joy. And we see this kind of language in other places in Scripture of, like Paul says, we should be glad, we should rejoice. Paul, uh, James is saying the same thing, count it all joy. So that's a that's an interesting thing. I think this is very unique to the, the Christian faith, for us to count it all joy when we go through these trials and these um, sufferings. But it does help us to kind of keep that right attitude as we're going through it. Now, some people have gone through much greater things than others. I, I used to really shy away from teaching on this at all, if, if Phil could stand up here and teach, because he was much more able to teach from, a, from an authoritative perspective because of the many difficulties he's gone through in life and, and, and is going through right now, once again. And we've all been through some in our life, some more than others, some more difficult than others. And we don't need to downplay any of them because... In that time of trial, of testing, of suffering, it is very hard, and it's very uh, difficult, and that's a time for us. It really is a time for us to pay attention to what is our faith doing? What, what, how are we responding to this? To see if our faith is genuine. Scripture tells us that we should test our faith. We should check to make sure it is genuine. So things like this that come our way, as hard as they are, we actually can embrace them gladly 
and rejoice knowing that this is actually going to help me see my faith in whether or not it is genuine, whether or not there are holes there, and it's going to help me help my faith to be strengthened so that what may come next I will be more prepared for. I will be able to go through even greater difficulty. And it helps us to have compassion for others, to help others who are in that place. When you can then, knowing you have been through it as well, that you can then help that person through it. So I love what James is saying here and how the testing of our faith produces this steadfastness, this uh, endurance and that we should allow it to have its full effect in our lives. And the way he ends this is incredible. He, he says that you may be perfect. If, if you allow this to have its full effect in your life and not try to run from it or, or do away with it, it doesn't mean that we... There's always a balance here when something comes into our lives. We always need to be... Uh, very observe. Okay, what is this? Is this is this from God? Is this from Satan? Is this just a natural something that's happening to my body because it happens to our bodies because our bodies are decaying? And there's always this. You know, you need to weigh and judge what is going on. I think we can easily go to the extremes either way. We can go to the extreme that we never consider Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And what the fact that he is the ruler of this world right now, and he does have power. So we can discount that to our folly when we don't consider the possibility of Satan and his demons and fallen angels actually being at work in our lives. And, and we have to be careful not to do that because... I just to think of an example when Jesus had a woman and she called he called her this daughter of Abraham came to her she was hunched over had been hunched over for 12 years I believe it was and it was on a sabbath so they were watching to see if he was going to do anything and he does he actually heals her and then of course the Pharisees come at him saying what well, you you're doing this on the sabbath what are you doing and he's like hey, is it, is it wrong for me to set free this woman of her oppression of Satan on the Sabbath? And so my point in this is, what if, what, what if Jesus had not taken that step of setting her free? She was actually in bondage. No doubt she had been to many people about it. No doubt many had told her, oh, it's just the, the physical this or physical that. Jesus knew she was in bondage by Satan, was being oppressed by him. And he delivered her, set her free from that bondage. Imagine this woman who had been hunched over. No doubt it was a very extreme case of being hunched over for 12 years like that. And he sets her free. Now, what if he had just, uh, go see Dr. So-and-so. He's really good with the, the, the spine and stuff like that. And, and, and what if that was to do no good for her, and she would continue then in her bondage. And so my point in that is we have to be sure that we consider the possibility 
of Satan being at work in our lives or in someone else's lives, someone else's life, because that's real. Don't let anyone tell you Satan can't touch you because you're a child of God. That is not true. It doesn't mean God's not sovereign. It, it means that God may be allowing this into your life. Surely everything goes through his loving hands. But he does allow these things, and we need to not just simply get comfortable with them and welcome them into our lives. See, you see, that's the extreme over here that we need to be careful that we don't do that. So I will just tell you just personally how I deal with this. Until I get to a point where I'm able to spiritually discern very quickly what this is, and I hope that maybe I can do that someday, I will deal with it as a possible, a possible attack from the enemy. Whatever this is, I'm not saying that for every splinter I get in my finger that I'm going to rebuke. That's not what I'm saying. But you, you hear what I'm talking about. Whether, some sickness, some um, perhaps temptation or what, whatever it might be, something going on that might seem out of place or, or whatever. I, and with other people as well, especially my children. My, my children have grown up observing their mother and father going to spiritual battle for them. And it will not stop ever. You know why? Because we have experienced enough realities of coming against Satan and his kingdom and rebuking it as if it might be from him and seeing results. Very obvious Sometimes instantaneous, not always, but sometimes instantaneous results. Now, if that happens enough times, and it, and it has with us, I will never discount that possibility. I'm never going to be on this extreme over here will I, where I never rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ whatever this is that I think might be coming against us or in our family. Uh, you might, uh, if, if we have a week of not sleeping well or someone's having bad dreams and we just sense that something's off in our home, in our environment, you may see one of us up at night with our Bible speaking out loud and taking authority over anything that might be coming against our family. Now, if, if we are going to believe that the spiritual realm is real, as the Bible says it is, then... We have got to be real about it. Don't just, you know, I don't know. If it's real, it's real. And we've been given a great authority in Christ and through his name. In Scripture, Jesus demonstrated, I mean, that's how he modeled ministry, is that we come against the gates of hell, and they will not prevail. It's not just a, a, a... hunkering down and, and, and trying to grit and bear it as... the gate. Have you ever thought about that? Gates aren't typically mobile. They're not moving towards you. Gates of hell is us coming against the gates of hell. We're on the offensive. We are coming against the gates of hell, and they shall not prevail. They shall not stand against our offense. Have you ever thought about that? That's, that really changes it. It's not me just, oh, I got to get through this as the gates are coming. No, it's us 
coming against the gates of hell. So it's important that we, we not neglect that possibility. Now, there's the other extreme, of course, where everything is caused by a demon or by Satan, and we give him, them too much credit. And, you know, we're, we're always hunting for that. And there's both extremes, and we've got to not go there either because, you know what? We are in bodies that are decaying. We aren't going to live, we, we will when we're resurrected, but these bodies are slowly decaying, and some understand that better than others. <laughs> and it's a hard thing. But that's a truth, that's a reality. And we see even the great apostles slowly, as their bodies are decaying, dealing with some uh, things that come along with that. They didn't live forever. But we don't want to live forever. And so we do accept that. But there is a somewhat of a thriving that should be real in our lives. Whether we're in sickness or we're in health, we're thriving. And so that should be a reality for the children of God, despite our circumstances. So James says, count it all joy. And at the very end says, if you let this take its full effect then you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's hard to imagine, but James says this is a way to get there, is to count it joy when these trials come in and allow it to do its full effect. Well, here's another one. Peter writes in uh, chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet anyone, excuse me, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And that, that's a great reminder. You know, I've, we've all heard people who have said, you know, oh, I'm just... Having to, I'm suffering for Christ or whatever. And no, you made a terrible decision. And you've brought consequences into your life that are now causing difficulties and trials and suffering. So it was a bad, bad decision. So let's not, that's what Peter's saying here. Let's not get confused. We're not talking about those who do wrong and then are suffering because of it. Okay, let's just be real. Now we're talking about those who do right and when we do right and suffer for it, then we can rejoice and we can be glad in it because we are suffering as our Savior suffered. We are suffering for His sake. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's what we rejoice in. Now, Paul says, going back to our scripture here, he says at the, in the second part there, 
that he's doing this, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, for the sake of Christ's body, that is, the church. And this is Paul's passion. We see this throughout his letters. It is this for which he is willing to go to prison. He is really willing to um, go through lots of suffering and trials. I mean, have you ever read 2 Corinthians and, and when he talks about the things that he has gone through? He has done all of this for this reason right here. This is his passion. This is his assignment from God. It is the church. It is God's church, his people. Now, Paul was the one who was persecuting these people. And when we look back at that account, I guess we can see and understand why this might be so passionate for Paul. Jesus' first words, listen to this, Jesus' first words to Paul were this, why are you persecuting me? Now, we remember that Paul, on his way to Damascus to put in prison, he had letters, authority in his hands to go there to find the Christians, to find the followers of the way, and to put them in prison. And on his way, Scripture says, this bright light knocks him to his feet. Excuse me, to, knocks him to the ground is what I'm trying to say. Knocks him to the ground. And he is blinded by this light. And the first words he hears spoken to him is, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, well, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers by saying that when you persecute him, excuse me, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting him. Jesus identifies himself through his followers. They are his physical body on this earth now. And we have to remember that Jesus is in heaven with the Father at his right hand. The Jesus who died in the flesh and was resurrected, and his resurrected body, he now sits at the right hand of God. He ascended to be there with the Father. Now, when he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father... Then the Father gave him the promised gift. And we'll get to that shortly. And it is then that he sent the other, who is like him, to come and be here on this earth, not only with us, but in us and working through us so that we can be his body, his hands and feet, his power of ministry on this earth now. Yes. That's the exciting thing about this. And so this, this is what we have to remember, that 
this is Jesus is like we are his body. This church, Life Point Church, we are his body. Other churches here in the Greenville area and around the world are his body, being his body to those around him, to the lost world around them, taking his grace to those who need it. And and this was this was what he was most concerned about. So he interrupts Paul's plan and his, uh, his, his task at hand and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, you, you persecute the church, you persecute my people, you persecute me. And he is our head, the head of our body. And he takes our, our persecution very seriously. Our trials, our difficulties, whether or not we are doing his work, whether or not we are being fruitful with what he has given us, all of those things, he, he is very, very concerned and interested in what his church is doing. So, Jesus says, even Jesus himself, when we go and look at his words, here's an example in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now that's Jesus telling us that you are blessed. We are blessed when these things happen to us. When we suffer for doing right. Not for doing wrong, but for doing right. Now, this doesn't always mean that we have to be on our, you know, soapbox down, da- downtown, you know, preaching the gospel. It may be. That's great. We need people doing that, and you, all, you will be persecuted. But it may not be that. It may just be sitting at the break table with your fellow coworkers, and as they start to uh, talk and blaspheme and profane and, and tell offensive jokes instead of you laughing and going along with it. No, you are not laughing and going along with it. And you don't share in that. And you may just need to get up and walk away. Or you may need to say something. Hey, can you take your conversation somewhere else? Or could you, can you just maybe... Uh, uh, I, I'm just trying to enjoy my break here and, and I'm being, being offended by what you're saying. It may be any of those things, but it's doing what is right. See, we're to be the salt and the light. And salt acts as a disinfectant. And and we're to be a disinfectant everywhere we go. Now, it doesn't mean we become these um, self-righteous people who go around, you know, every time someone says a bad word, we hand them a ticket it doesn't mean that. we we got to live in this world, but we're not of this world. But it means that we are different. We are 
We are set apart. We are not like them. And we don't just participate in the same things. Paul talks about this later on in Colossians, that these are the things we used to do. But this is not who we are anymore. We're to put off those things and to put on these things, these things of righteousness. And so this is, this is what Jesus is saying here. When you do what is right, what is righteous, you are going to be persecuted. If they persecuted him, how much more his, his uh, students and disciples, his followers, will they persecute? And so whether it's, um, you know, full-blown, you're being persecuted because you're preaching Christ, or whether it's just you're being in a, in a situation, you're being holy, set apart, not the same as all of them. And there is a big need for that everywhere that we go. And we, we, we can demonstrate God's goodness, His holiness, His righteousness, in various ways. But we have, to, we have to be resolved in our mind about this. Because Scripture is very, very clear in, in how we should be and how we should not be a part of the world around us. But we are to go to those who are sick, to those who need a doctor. So what I'm not saying is, Remove yourself from the world. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do. Jesus is saying, yes, he dined and sat with the sinners, the prostitutes, the drunkards, all of these, the the tax collectors, all of these hated people by the religious ones, all of these despised people because he said, those are the ones who need a physician. They are the ones who are sick, not the ones who think they are well. And we are to be like him in that way. We are to go to those who are sick, who need a doctor. And we're to be about healing and deliverance and freedom in this life. So Jesus many times has told us, that we need to be prepared, but rejoice when you are persecuted and reviled and, and talked bad about and left out because you're different, because you're not doing the things that they're doing. We should rejoice in that. And here's something that I love that Jesus shares and he, and he and he's talking about when um, when we do things to others that are good and that are right because here he's talking about doing things for his sake and being persecuted for his sake in Matthew 25 verses 31 through 40 he says this when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another. Now we're talking way in the future now, 
talking about end times here. He will separate um, people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, listen to this, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So my point in sharing this is that what I was saying about Jesus and his church, what you do to his church, his people, you do to him. And, and he's talking to us as in what we do to the least of his brothers. In other words, to the, to the least of us. What we do to our brothers and sisters, we are doing to him. And as you know, he goes on to the next part of this is the reverse. What you did not do, he's saying to the goats, not the sheep, but the goats on his left, he says, depart from me because you did not do these things. And they're like, well, wait a minute. When did we not do these things? We don't remember seeing you or being thirsty or in prison or da, 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 da. And he said, no, no. When you didn't do these things to the least of my brother's you didn't do them to me. Jesus, the head of his body, the church, what is done to us and what, listen, what we do to each other, he takes very personally, very personally. And so we definitely, definitely need to pay attention to that. But be thankful. Be thankful for it. I need my glasses. I cannot see what time is that. Eleven thirty-five. Okay. All right. Moving right along. Sorry. Okay. All right. We've got two more minutes. Thank you. All right. Let's look at verse twenty-five. This is the first first part of verse twenty-five. So I'll call it twenty-five A. So he was just talking about. Paul was just saying he does this for the. For the church, Christ's body, the church, that's his passion. And then he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And again, we mentioned this already in the first part. Um, That's how he introduced himself, is Paul is stating here that this appointment that he has of being a minister to, to these believers in Colossae, these Colossians, that and to all of the Gentile churches, that him being a minister to them was issued to him by God for their sake. Paul did not self-appoint himself. God appointed him 
and God did it for the sake of the churches. And it should be reassuring, truly, to know that God sends messengers and overseers or shepherds to help care for his churches. Well, let's go to the next uh, part of this verse. This is part B and then also verse 26. And Paul says, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, the mystery is, is this, very simply. It is that God has extended grace to all, not just his people, the, the Jews, the people of Israel, but to all nations, to the Gentiles, when you see that in Scripture, it just means non-Jew. So to the Gentiles, all of us, we can be considered Gentiles. God has extended his grace. Now remember, grace is nothing without a person who extends the grace. And the way he has extended his grace is through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and took our place and received our punishment, our death penalty instead of us, and made a great exchange. He received that on himself and died. He shed his blood so that we would not have to. And then everything that was due to him, all the blessings, all the inheritance from his father, all of those things because he's the firstborn, all of those things coming to him, he has now bestowed onto us. And and it has given us access to these things. It's, It's that great exchange that Jesus did for us on the cross. He hung himself on the cross instead of us. And so everything that should have been coming to us went on to him. Everything that should have been coming on to him, all the blessings, all the wonderful goodness from God because of his faithfulness and his sinlessness, all of those things come to us. We have access to those. If we choose to go into covenant with God based on this truth, his son, Jesus Christ. And so his son, Jesus Christ, not only that, not only through him are our sins able to be forgiven and cleansed by his blood, but also when Jesus ascended to be at at God's right hand, God then gave him the gift, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit for him to then pour out onto his people, onto his church. That is a part of this grace that God has extended to us, as we've talked about. All through his son, Jesus Christ, we don't have access to forgiveness of sins unless it is through Jesus Christ, and we do not have access to the promised gift of the Holy Spirit unless it is through Jesus Christ. It is through Christ, the one who is preeminent, supreme above all, that we have access to this grace. Verse 27 uh, says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. (coughs) 
And this is, this is, this is what the mystery, part of this mystery is that not only has Jesus Christ come to, to live out the, the requirement for us and to then be able to give his righteousness to us. But he has also, because the promised gift was given to him to pour out to us, he is now able to live in us and through us. The the story of the first account of this happening. So you know in Acts. Actually, let me read this part because this is important. This is this is what Jesus said. Now, this is Jesus who died, was resurrected, and then was appearing to his followers. He appeared to him over a course of about 40 days, appeared to them and met with them and spoke to them and taught them. The, the, risen, the risen Lord, the resurrected Christ in body with the scars still on his body. He came and appeared to them after he was resurrected from that grave and spoke and taught. And here's one of the things that was said to them that was recorded. Luke records this in Acts. And it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word. Excuse me. Uh, That's not the scripture I was looking for. I got it in the wrong place. Bear with me. There we go. And while staying with them, this is, this is talking about Jesus. And while staying with them, he ordered them, his followers, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes to his disciples several times before he then ascends to be with the Father. And some of his last words to them is, do not leave until you have received the promised gift that my Father will give me and I will give to you. And this gift we know was carried out in Acts chapter 2, a little further along, when the believers were, get, were gathered together in the temple and waiting and praising God and praying, and we know the account of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was then poured out. That promised gift was then poured out 
by Jesus onto those believers. And we see the results of that. Not only were they transformed in an instance from being those who were hiding because they knew they were going to probably be persecuted and they knew that their risen Lord had, had been uh, ki- killed but was now resurrected, but they, were, they, were, they just didn't have that boldness. Jesus didn't even want them to try it. And then the Holy Spirit coming down on them and... They did things that they weren't able to do in their own body, speak in other languages, speak mysteries and praises to God. And then Peter, who had just not long ago denied Christ three times. And have you ever taken note of that? I think two of the times were by this little girl. A little girl asking him, weren't you with him? And he's like, no. And he denies him three times. But then the Holy Spirit poured out on Peter, and he, with the boldness that the Spirit brings, steps forth and looks at the eyes and points at the people who had just recently killed Jesus, the same people. And he looks at them and tells them straight up what they've done. You've killed the risen Lord, the Messiah. And he preaches the word to them, and it says that they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And they looked at him and said, brothers, what what should we do? And he tells them, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, this is what Jesus told them to wait to receive because it was the Holy Spirit, the one who is like him, the other, the advocate who would come, not Jesus himself. He's with the Father. He's at his right hand, but he pours out the other one that he promised would come to come and fill them with the power that they needed to then go out and launch the church into the world. What they were able to accomplish in the short amount of time that they did was amazing. It's just unheard of, but they did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we, when we talk about this, this mystery, and, and Paul refers to this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, this is what he's talking about. This mystery of not only is this being offered to God's people, but this is being offered to the Gentiles, the other nations, the non-Jews. And not only is it for the forgiveness of sins, but it's for God, Jesus Christ, to be able to live in them through the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do all these. I'm just going to try to get back to where I was. Let me bring this to to a close. This mystery of which Paul speaks 
this Christ being in us, being in you, the hope of glory. This is, this is often um, something that's not given uh, a lot of attention. And, and the way that we tend to birth people into the kingdom seems to be a very rushed there's, there's patterns and models of doing this in Scripture that we see, especially in the book of Acts, that we just we have completely just kind of taken out of our um, process of new birth. And it's to the detriment, you understand, of all who are coming to Christ that, that we leave out some of the teaching and some of the things that Christ very clearly stressed and emphasized to us. And it's to our detriment because for, for any new believer to have any chance in this world, we have to have the power that God has promised and made available to us to be able to live this out. And, and I think that part of the reason we are seeing such an exit from the churches. Do you, do you realize that churches are dwindling because of the uh, generation that has now grown up in a, in a weak, pathetic church that doesn't preach the full gospel and what's available to them and what's necessary to, to walk in righteousness. And we've, 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 they've, Whittled it down to just say this one little prayer, and that's it. You've got everything that you need. Go on your way. And they, they walk out the door stumbling as they go because we've shortchanged the, the birthing process. And so they go, and they, they end up in no time back in sin, back in the same stronghold and bondage that they were in because we've not even taken the time to ask them if they've repented of anything. What kind of gospel is that? This is not what Paul preached. Paul made it clear what he preached. He preached repentance. He didn't preach God's love to the unsaved. (laughs) That, That shocks people sometimes when you say that. Go through the book of Acts and find one time when any of the apostles preached God's love to the unbelieving. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you to do that because I did that. I have done that. I'm still searching. The book of Acts covers about 30 years of the New Testament church being born. That's a long time. And yet nowhere do you see the apostles preaching God's love to the unsaved. Now, they talked a lot about God's love to those who knew God, to those who had turned to Him. That's that's where you take this pearl and you give it to the right person who's going to appreciate this. You don't take the pearl and throw it to the swines. And that's not what the apostles preached. What they preached was, (coughs) repent, repent. God has made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins, but you must turn from your way and turn to God. Repent. Turn to Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in water and receive the Holy Spirit. That 
is the new birth. That's what should be the new birth. But we've, we've, we've half-birthed Christians into this world, and I think this is part of the big problem of them exiting the church because there's no, there's no substance. There's no power. There's no changed life from the inside out. There's no new heart. So I, you can't blame them. It's a bunch of fluff in a way. And they see everyone around them not being much different either. It, it doesn't, it's not supposed to be that way, and it doesn't need to be that way. But it does require a boldness in our teaching and in our preaching. A, a faith that what God says is real. What Jesus said is real. And it's not a one-off. You see, just, just a little ways past when the, when the believers had experienced the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on them, being baptized in the Holy Spirit as Jesus was described as the one who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. Not long after that, you see Peter and John who were in jail for preaching, who had been put in prison. And the, the, the Pharisees and the authorities say, do not preach in this name anymore. And they're like, is it better? Should we obey you or God? I mean, they, they weren't going to have it. I mean, of course, that's an easy answer. And they, they let them go. And, they, and it says that Peter and John came back with their believers and shared everything that had happened. And it said that they then prayed and asked God for the boldness that they needed to continue preaching the word, preaching the gospel. And it said, these are the same people who had just recently had the Holy Spirit poured out on them. And it said, then God sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filled them all and the room shook and they went about preaching the gospel with boldness. Now listen, if these guys would benefit from having been filled with the Spirit again, surely we, we need that. And Paul talks about that. He says, don't be drunk with wine. That will ruin you. That will destroy your life. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And if you look at the original, if you look at the Greek, the, the verb is a continuous tense verb. It's not a one-off. It's a continuing of being filled with the Spirit. This is the living water that we must have if we're going to be able to do anything effective for the kingdom. This is the new wine, the, the living water. This is the oil. This is what's described so often in Scripture that we need. And so this is, this is what we've got to get back to. All right, I've talked long enough. I'm going to bring this to a very abrupt close. So let's bow, bow with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for this uh, reminder for us. And God, as we, um, as we now turn our, our, our attention back to, to responding to what we have heard, Lord, we ask that you would uh, continue to, to cut straight to our hearts. Cut straight to our hearts. Show us 
Teach us. God, we do not want to shy away. We do not want to shy away from this. We do not want to be a part of uh, the doctrines of man. We want to be a part of the doctrine of you, your doctrine, your word. And where man and man's teaching has crept in and has um, stifled these things, quenched these things, distracted us from these things, hidden these things from us, God, please get those obstacles out of the way. Break it back down, God, to the truth for us. We want to be a church that can say we are a true church because we have seen your power at work in us and through us. May that be so, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart I want to see